Marriage on a Tightrope supports couples in strengthening their mixed faith marriage. Visit tightropemarriage.org to make a recurring donation and learn more about the mixed faith community. Hello and welcome to another episode of Marriage on a Tightrope. I'm Alan. Katie, Katie. Oh shoot, Katie's not here. We are still married. This is a special edition episode of Marriage on a Tightrope. In episode five, I mentioned that I had written a letter to Katie all about where I stand and some of the troubling things that I had learned. What I wanted to do today is read the first part of that letter. Now, for those that are a little concerned about what I might be saying right now, it's all good because I'm not going to be talking about anything doctrinal. What I'm actually going to be reading is just the first few pages of the letter, which outline what I believe in and how the last year has been a growing experience for me and really focusing on the positive. So my hope is that there really isn't anything uncomfortable in it. It's more just an introduction for Katie on, on what growth and positive things that I have found over the last year. So with that being said, I'll now read the letter. Katie, I love you. That's how every letter, birthday card, phone call, and text message should start. You mean everything to me, and as I hope you know, I always keep your well-being in mind when doing or saying anything of significance in this life. I want so badly to be with you in this life and the next. That is my goal, and I don't take that lightly. You know better than anyone that I am not perfect. I've made some mistakes, some small, others large. I make mistakes every day. However, I do believe I've grown significantly over the past 10 years. I've settled into a great profession and have learned skills that will help us provide for our family without the fear of poverty or extended unemployment. My priorities have shifted with my free time. I still enjoy video games, but gone are the days that I want to sit and pray. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's a good slip up. But gone are the days that I want to sit and play for hours on end. I'd rather spend that time with you and the kids or doing something more productive. Even seeing how I've grown in those areas... The area I feel the largest amount of growth is spiritually. Our time in the ward in Murray helped both of us put others' needs ahead of our own. I loved my time as Elders Quorum president because of those opportunities to serve. In the three short years we were in that ward, I felt a big shift in me from selfish to selfless. The importance of how you treat, serve, and positively impact others became more important to me than seeking attention on social media, spending time on my podcast, or committing extra effort to improv. I'm not saying I'm perfectly selfless, I don't think we ever can be, but progress has been made. To be frank, before our move to Taylorsville, I was pretty complacent spiritually. Now I care deeply about spirituality. It's my hope that putting pen to paper will help me continue my spiritual growth and help you understand where I'm at. All this year, I've been fascinated with all things spiritual. Thinking, praying, researching about emotion versus spirit, Christ's role in my life, the beginnings of our church, what God wants for me, and so much more. I'm not done with that journey to grow spiritually and never will be. However, I'm so grateful for the lessons and truth I have learned up to this point. God has led me to believe we are free to follow him the way that we feel best. For me, that means counseling with you, which has been so helpful. Praying, studying the scriptures, what past and present leaders have taught, and determining what God wants for our family. I feel that I'm finally becoming the spiritual leader that this family deserves. This letter will be two parts. This first part is meant to be a positive outlook on the faith-promoting side of my spirituality. In this first part, I will speak only of things that have helped me come closer to God, that have pushed me to be a better person, 
and that I feel will be helpful for us in building a stronger faith. I'll introduce the second part of the letter later, but it's important to note that the second letter will not be the opposite of what I've outlined above. The purposes are the same, but the content will be different. I'd like to try and keep this as structured as possible so it's easy to follow. Here are the different topics that I'd like to speak to. Number one, understanding each other. Two, trusting each other. Three, belief versus knowledge. Four, admitting I can be wrong. Five, commitment to truth. Understanding each other. Quote, perhaps one did not want to be loved so much as to be understood. George Orwell. In the 13 years we've been married, one of the biggest lessons we have learned is the importance of communicating openly. When we open up and listen to one another, magical things happen. I'm grateful that we both find importance in trying to see the other's perspective. Quote, our soul desires to be understanding. Our ego is only concerned with being understood. When you are being understanding, you are connected to the soul. Michael Bovenis. Understanding others goes beyond just you and me. I've learned to appreciate the perspective of others this year. Everyone has such a different experience on this earth. The decisions people make, the beliefs people have, the words people say, and how they say them are all influenced by what they've experienced. Of course someone that was raised as a Jehovah's Witness is going to have a different spiritual outlook than I have. If I find myself talking with a Jehovah's Witness, rather than finding the faults in their beliefs or trying to convince them of mine, I want to learn about their experiences and see if there's anything about their perspective that can be helpful for me and my family. I encountered this when at the Community of Christ Temple in Independence, Missouri. I asked the tour guide what their view on the Book of Mormon is. Specifically, is there room in their faith to believe the book is inspired but not literal or historical? She explained that there is absolutely room for such a belief. Members are free to believe in the Book of Mormon however they choose. No one is going to get in trouble for saying the Book of Mormon isn't historical in Sunday school. I love that sentiment. It helps me feel good about finding value in the writings of the Book of Mormon in spite of the historical issues present. Quote, I know that which the Lord hath commanded me, and I glory in it. I do not glory of myself, but I glory in that which the Lord hath commanded me. Yea, and this is my glory, that perhaps I may be an instrument in the hands of God to bring some soul to repentance, and this is my joy. Alma 29.9 That's inspiring. I love the sentiment and message of this verse. That inspiration is present regardless of who the author is. Understanding others was my motivation behind talking to my aunts about their upbringing in the church and their beliefs. I loved how simple my Aunt George's testimony in the Holy Ghost was. Kathy never forgets to pray before a meal, whether it's at home or at a restaurant. I love learning about what makes my family tick spiritually. Trusting each other. Trusting each other is a natural extension of understanding one another. If we openly communicate, we'll know what the other is trying to accomplish for our family. Our chat about intentions regarding the church is a great example of this. I'm not worried about the outcome of all this. We have each other to lean on, and we have both shown how committed we are to our family. I trust you in that, and feel that you trust me in that as well. You can trust that I will not lead this family to spiritual ruin. I simply won't let it happen. I take all of this very seriously, and our family will be better off for it. Belief versus knowledge. Belief is a tricky thing. While beliefs tend to be what we hold most dear and valuable, by definition, beliefs are opinions that just can't be proven. I believe baseball is the best sport on earth. I believe Parks and Recreation is a better TV series than The Office. I believe in God. I believe he loves us. 
I believe we are his children, and he wants us to live with him again. What proof do I have? None. And that's the point of belief, isn't it? I've had experiences that have strengthened that belief, but I haven't seen God. I haven't seen Christ. I don't know that God is real. I choose to believe he's real. Here's an experience that strengthened my belief in God. Earlier this year, I saw an African refugee reunited with her five sons and husband after five years of separation. Two church groups pooled their resources to locate and bring her family to the United States. Seeing that reunion touched me deeply. I immediately felt the desire and inspiration to be a part of something like this, a deeply rooted feeling to be kinder to my fellow man, try and understand everyone's situation and proactively decide how I can help. I believe that we all have those feelings inside of us. Most people are kind and would be motivated in a situation like that to help other people. I also feel that God helps us feel inspired in those moments by sending the Holy Spirit to prompt us to take action. That belief is just as valid as someone feeling that the same motivating factors come solely from within. I could be wrong. They could be wrong. But if we both feel those same things, it doesn't matter who's right and wrong. Just be a good person. Try to improve yourself and continually improve how you treat and accept other people. That is what God wants us to do. I believe God is more forgiving and understanding than many give him credit for. Think about the hand we have been dealt when it comes to belief in God. I've never seen or heard God. There are thousands of different churches all claiming to understand God better than the rest. Some claim they are the only true church that exists. Let's say that God does have one true church. If an individual becomes acquainted with that church, listens to it, the teachings, attends its meetings, and in the end rejects those teachings and decides not to join the church, will God still accept that individual into the next life? I believe he will. The odds are so stacked against us to know the truth that I believe God wants us to do the absolute best we can to form what we believe is true and good and follow those beliefs while we're on earth. Admitting I can be wrong. I believe that we need to be flexible in our beliefs. If we come across evidence that some part of our beliefs or perspectives are wrong, we need to be willing to change our beliefs and perspectives. We do this in everyday life, but when it comes to the core religious beliefs, we can be far too inflexible. Here's a silly everyday example. I love eating sunflower seeds. I can pop seeds for 30 minutes straight and hardly consume any calories whatsoever. While I'm on a low-carbohydrate diet, I ate tons of sunflower seeds. My favorite flavor was salted caramel. I used to eat about three bags a week. I believe the nutritional guide on the back of the bag, two grams of carbs per serving. One day, I read that label a bit closer and found evidence that my belief was wrong. Two grams of carbs per serving, parentheses, de-shelled. Oh boy, all that sweet salted caramel flavoring wasn't factored into the nutritional information. Looking online, it turns out it's more like 10 grams of carbs per serving with the seasoning. Boom, belief changed, and now I don't eat the salted caramel flavor. I believe that we should be just as flexible in our beliefs when it comes to spiritual matters. Admitting we can be wrong on spiritual matters shows spiritual maturity, not spiritual weakness. To that end, I believe that God has blessed us with the ability to reason, discern, and use our intellect, even in the case of spiritual matters. The Spirit does not only use feelings to testify of God. If there is a specific belief that does not make sense to our intellect, we should study it out. Search, ponder, and pray. Many times our intellect alone can confirm the belief we are thinking about. Sometimes intellect may bring us 90% of the way, and the Spirit can help bridge the gap with higher understanding or a feeling. 
However, a third option can be a principle that does not make sense to our intellect. And as we search, ponder, and pray, we feel led to rejecting that principle. That third scenario is hard for us to do. Many times it means rejecting something we had already accepted as truth. It takes guts to do something like that. Similar to the previous belief mentioned, I believe following your feelings and emotions exclusively is dangerous. Our emotions and feelings can lead to bad decisions. Terrible things have been done because people feel God wants them to do it. The Crusades, 9-11 attacks, the terrorist attack in Barcelona, etc. If we feel that God wants us to do something that goes against what we feel is right, we need to seriously consider where that feeling is coming from. I believe God will never ask me to treat anyone or any group unfairly, will not ask me to physically harm anyone, steal, or have an affair. Christ was the ultimate example of this. He was chastised for allowing a prostitute to anoint him with oil and wash his feet. But he loved her and treated her as the daughter of God that she is. President Monson has a great quote that relates here. Quote, Let us have the courage to defy the consensus, the courage to stand for principle. Courage, not compromise, brings the smile of God's approval. Courage becomes a living and an attractive virtue when it is regarded not only as the willingness to die manfully, but as the determination to live decently. A moral coward is one who is afraid to do what he thinks is right because others will disapprove or laugh. Remember that all men have their fears, but those who face their fears with dignity have courage as well. Commitment to truth. I'm committed to truth in all aspects of my life. The truth shall set you free. Elder J. Reuben Clark said something about truth that can be a great guide in, our, in a search for truth, and not just spiritual truth. He said, quote, If we have the truth, it cannot be harmed by investigation. If we have not the truth, it ought to be harmed. If our son Hayden received an 80% on a math test and brings us home the test, we can investigate the results. If the teacher made a mistake, we will discover it. If she didn't make a mistake... Her assessment of Hayden cannot be harmed by investigation. The same is true for spiritual matters. If we can harm a belief we have by investigation, then it wasn't truth. What is missing from this quote, I feel, is what happens after the truth is harmed. When you investigate, you not only harm past truths, but you discover new truths. That is such a liberating feeling. It is absolutely difficult to come to the conclusion that something you thought was true isn't true, but that is quickly absorbed by the feeling that you have uncovered a new truth that brings new value into your life. My spiritual commitment is not tied to any man, woman, or church. It is tied to the truth. I will follow wherever the truth takes me. There you have it, everybody. There is the first part of my letter to Katie. We'd love to hear what you thought. You can also email us at marriageonatightrope at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram. I feel weird saying that. That's usually something Katie says. But follow us on Instagram, Marriage on a Tightrope. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time.